I need something to loosen me up. Everything. This has been one of those mornings. Murphy's Law. It's been. Ah, I see. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. Oh, we bless you. We depend on you. We're in desperate need of you. We're appliances that need electricity to work. We're cars that need fuel to go. We're humans that need the breath of life in us in order to animate. We're fallen and we need a savior to redeem us and to rebirth us in order for us to live. Rock your people with the divine mindset. At the end of our journey, Lord God, let it be said that they were introduced to the gospel. They were, they encountered the true and living God through your word and through song and through all that epiphany sought to put before people. Today, move us and advance us forward in the faith by your grace and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're keeping in our series, we have this series where we basically want to experience the Lord Jesus Christ as we look at the Old Testament scriptures, uh, as some would take offense to calling the Old Testament the Old Testament. And so one of my professors used to say, another way to say that is to say Hebrew scriptures, because if you get around certain Jews and you try to call it the Old Testament, they'll be offended. So... Just a little nugget for you, just in case you get around somebody who would be offended. You can also call it the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, but we do believe that the Hebrew Scriptures uh, stop short of its fulfillment. We need the New Testament, what we know as the New Testament, where everything in the Old Testament was brought to its fulfillment in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that means that as we open our Bibles, we're always looking for how the Old Testament set us up and pointed us to him. Uh, the Lord Jesus said to people who were familiar with the law, he says, yo, you, you dig up in the scripts to find life. Uh, but if you really had the right lenses on, you'd be able to see that these things speak of me. And the Bible says that he opened his disciples' eyes to be able to appreciate how everything God had said basically were little small pictures of what he ultimately was going to say, ta-da, it's me, like I'm the one. Um, and so we appreciate the Lord Jesus. So we call this Christ in the life of, um, and we're going to look at something today that is sort of like a unusual Christ in the life of, because it's more generic. Today it's Christ in the life of a woman, Christ in the life of a woman, uh, Christ in the life of a woman. And we're going to use actually two women in the Bible to compare or to contrast two women, one who doesn't display much Christ likeness, if any at all. And one who actually does display a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, even back then. And this is good, given that today we're celebrating and we're discussing the issue of the female or the woman. Today, whether we're thinking about the accomplishments of a Hillary Clinton, Senator Hillary Clinton, and what she calls 18 million cracks in the highest and hardest glass ceiling, or whether we're marveling at the uh, inclusion of Sarah Palin, the governor of Alaska, shout out to Alaska, um, some of y'all get that, um, 
whether or not we celebrate the, uh, the, the bringing on Sarah Palin um, as potential, well, the vice presidential nomination, nominee, we're all into women today, and all of us would recognize the equality of the woman and the beauty of women and the grandeur of this creation called woman. However, we live in a day that's also uncertain about how to properly see femininity or womanhood. Well, I think this is apropos today as we will look at Christ in the life of a woman, more specifically Christ in the life of a godly woman. But what I want to do is I want to start with the negative example, and then I want to end with the positive example. So I want you to meet uh, a woman by the name of Mikal. I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Uh, and meet Mikal. 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 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting with verse 16. And again, one of the things that I, I take pleasure in, having spent a lot of time in Christian circles with the scriptures, is the focus is I love seeing things new and or seeing things anew. I love to see things fresh. I hate to go somewhere and basically get what I've always gotten. And so every now and then somebody will turn my attention to an obscure passage or an obscure person in the scriptures. And it always excites me because we know the scriptures, you can keep going over the same scriptures and get something fresh out of it. But sometimes you don't get anything fresh out of it and you get frustrated. Then what we do is we clock out. Oh, we're going to talk about David and Goliath. You think you already know everything there is to talk about uh, when you talk about David and Goliath. So you just sort of go on autopilot and then you, you know, oh, Jack is over. Yeah. Well, today, I don't know how many of you have really focused on me, Cal, um, but you're going to meet two women that don't get much airplay. Let's start with Mikal. The first thing I want you to know is that chapter 6, verse 16 of 2 Samuel wouldn't be the first place where you hear of her. There are two other places in the scriptures. One is 1 Samuel 18, where the Bible says that Mikal was given to King David in marriage. So this woman is actually uh, the wife of the greatest king Israel has ever known outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, David. Michal was given to her, saw her father, saw her father said, I should give David my daughter in order to be a snare for him. So uh, the Bible says that Michal was given to David really as a trick and a trap by Saul, but because God was with David, what intended to be for his dis demise actually was for his exaltation. The Bible, so the Bible talks about David snatching up Michal, being able to defeat Philistines in order to win her since he didn't have loot to be able to pay a bride price. The next time we see her, she's, uh, she is saving David's life from her father, King Saul. Stay with me. The next time we see her, everything, all the wheels fall off. All the wheels fall off. That's where we are. So the first two times, the first time she's given in marriage, the second time she's saving his life, 
This is the third and sadly the final time the scriptures is going to zoom the lens in on this woman. Let's read. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And she despised him in her heart. I want to look at this negative example of this woman. And I want to start with looking at the fact that she was detached, detached from God-centered community. Now, I know you, you hear us talking about community. You heard Pastor E talking about the Ecclesia today, which is God's ultimate God-centered community. Well, here we have a grand picture of the woes of being on the peripheral of God-centered community. The text picks up and says, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. You have to be able to appreciate what this means. The, 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 in chapter 5, the Bible makes clear that they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you may not know what the Ark of the Covenant is, some of you. The Ark of the Covenant would, in the Old Testament would represent the very presence of God. The very presence of God. At that time, God manifested his presence in a way where you say, there's God. Today, God is, uh, and he's, the invisibleness of God is what we contend with. For them, they had a manifest presence of God, if you will, right? It was in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was to be the central place in the camp of Israel. That would be the place that was in the middle of the camp. The whole, all of Israel's life would surround the Ark of the Covenant, saying that God is central to the life of his people. Everybody understood that. Well, when David, he, who's, who's on his way, he's king, David goes out and he establishes Jerusalem as the capital. He, does, he establishes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Y'all got to appreciate this because David loves God. David is a blueprint of somebody who esteems God higher than anything. So you got David, a man of God, excited. He's just got a capital city, his D.C., his Washington, D.C. He's like, this place is not the city of God without God. We need God. Let's bring the presence of God into our new capital city. So they're marching. The Bible says that they, they didn't follow God's orders on how to deal with the presence of God. So a man named Uzzah touches the ark. Some of you know the story. Uh, and if you don't know the story, you'll have to read it. It's in chapter five of second Samuel. And the Bible says that he died. And that David, and I like the way it says, as a matter of fact, look for me, uh, if you will, just flip back and um, just go to chapter 5, verse 8. So David is, is celebrating. David is excited. All of Israel is getting excited that the ark of God or the presence of God is on its way to the capital. Then God allows his holiness to remind people that you still... Still got to deal with God according to the way he says deal with him. The Bible says that the hand of God strikes Uzzah. Verse 8 says this. And David said on that day. Oh, excuse me. No, I'm tripping. Uh, he says here uh, in verse. Chapter 6. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Chapter 6, verse 8. Chapter 6, verse 8. Look what he says here. And David was angry. Because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah. And that place was called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. 
And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Get the picture. The key to blessing. David hears, man, God needs to be in our city. When God struck Uzzah, David threw a little tantrum. The Bible says that David was angry. You know, sometimes kids get mad at their parents and throw down what they really want or what they really need. And parents like, okay. And sooner or later they come back like, I want. You're like, okay, but fix your attitude. That's what you would say. So it's almost like God lets David pout. David says, I ain't even going. I ain't even taking him into the city no more. Yo, hook a left. Hook a left. Go over here to Obed-Edom, put him down. I'm not messing with God right now. All of a sudden, the reports that God is blessing where he is. God is blessing where he's been central. God is blessing where his presence resides. And David says, on second thought, I'm better now. Let's get the ark. Now David is back to singing and dancing. Now look at his wife. In the midst of the celebration that the presence of God is coming, in the midst that the key to being blessed is in their midst, God himself, the Bible says, and as the ark of the Lord came to the city of David, the first lady, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of a window. What is she doing in a window somewhere? When the community of God, led by the king who represents God, is leading everybody in a triumphal procession. Yo, your God is about to be in our midst. Worship and praise is in full bloom and she's in a window. You just see her looking outside, detached from everything that's going on. And the Bible wants you to get the picture of someone who's detached from the community, missing out on what makes the community tick, which is their affection for God. The woman who is not the woman who displays Christ-likeness often is the woman you catch detached from the life of the community. You ever see, I've seen it before, ministers who get pretty women who have no interest in the community that they're brought into, just want the man. I just, I really just wanted him. I heard he's in the church. Women who don't buy into the friend community or the Christian camaraderie that the, the, the man has. This works for men and women because some dudes get women who don't want the community of faith. And they're detached. Well, you know, she just... 
She's just slow to make friends. It's not just that they're slow to make friends. It's not, well, you know, she comes from another religious tradition. It's not that. It's the next thing we see that not only was she detached from the community, but she really is disengaged from the community's affections as well. Because it says she looked at David leaping and dancing before the Lord, <laughs> dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Not only isn't she in the mix, she's not even in her heart connected to the spirit of the moment. She doesn't even get drawn in by like, look at my baby, he, he cutting up. He love him some Jesus. Like, that's not her. She's like, look at him. Ah, oh, he gets on my nerves. He's always doing that. When the spirit of the Lord comes upon his heart, he's dancing like himself. This is David. He's dancing like David danced. She's disengaged from God-centered affections. She's twisted. She can't stand all the hoopla. She can't stand how her man is into this God that she's really not into. And the funny thing is, uh, in uh, 1 Samuel 19, when she was saving David's life, she was called uh, Michal, David's wife. Now, in this pericope, from 16 to 23, three times, she's called Michal, Saul's daughter. It's a, it's a cue. This isn't David's. She's still Saul's. Dudes get married and she's not your wife, dog. She's still her father's daughter. Christ in the life of a woman is not the woman who's detached from the life of God-centered community. I know some women who like church long as it's not God-centered community. She's disengaged from God-centered affections. Everyone's leaping and dancing. She's in a window. Everyone's leaping and dancing and she's despising the leader. Not only is she disengaged from God-centered affections, she has a disregard for God and his anointed. And his anointed. The Bible makes clear that basically, Michal, after David starts blessing, let's read it. The Bible says here, she despised him in her heart, verse 17. And they brought in the ark of the Lord, set it in its place, inside the tent that David had pitched for it. But you got to understand this. That's why we say God-centered community. Because they said, bring the ark up in here, up in here. And God-centered because he arranged the neat little place for it. Athletes create whole rooms for their trophies. We rearrange living rooms around a piece of furniture or a painting. Ah, uh, no, 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 don't put nothing there because I'm waiting until I get. Well, they were saying, wait, wait, wait. Rig everything around the ark of the Lord. Let's put, give it a nice little place. One day we're going to build a nice structure called the temple. But until then, give it a tent. A little like house-like little feel until we, because we got to treat the presence of God like we care. So David is excited. The community is excited. The only one who doesn't seem to be excited is Michal, Saul's daughter. 
says David, he brings it in, dusts it off, rearranges the furniture, makes it all nice, sets it in its place, giving God a place, a place of centrality. It's inside the tent that David pinched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So David is in full-fledged worship, esteeming the God he has uh, the utmost affection for. And when David finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women. So we know women were allowed. Every now and then a woman will exempt herself. Maybe, it, uh, well, the kids, um, that's, that, that works up to a point. Um, well, you know, it's just that my, like, my first responsibility to my husband, that is true to an extent. Uh, uh, but every men and women are here, and the, the woman who's detached, and the woman who's detached, probably not because of anything practical, but just because she's detached in her affections or disengaged in her affections, is missing out on this moment. And it says here, so David's doing all this blessing. Everybody else is benefiting from being in the mix. Then it says here, he returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers herself. And David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will make merry before the Lord. Get the picture here. She runs it like, I'm looking out for your rep. I'm looking out for your morals. That wasn't really the case, which is why David says, wait a minute. This is a spiritual issue right here. It's, first of all, you haven't been around, so you, you're not like us. Second of all, your heart is not connected to the God our heart is connected to, which is why you don't like what you see going on right now. Third of all, you're coming out your face wrong at me because you don't have an affection for God, so you can't have an affection for the things he chooses and the people he chooses. Hmm, how you doing? You too. The Bible makes clear, Judas tried this one time. When the woman with the alabaster jar broke what was, it, would, it was a waste if you do this for anyone other than the one who deserves your alabaster. <laughs> but the Bible makes clear that Judas acted like he cared about the poor, just like she acted like he cared about David's reputation and dishonor. And Judas said, wait a minute, why are we wasting this? We could have gave this to the poor. And the Bible says, now nah, he really just wanted to sell it so he could get some of the profit because he was, he, he was the treasurer. But the Bible makes clear that Michal ain't coming out here telling some, you know, I'm so worried about the glory of God and your reputation of morality that I'm, I'm, I'm pooping on the whole mood. The Bible makes clear, you know, your spouse can rain on the parade. If you don't have the right woman, and women, if you're not the right woman, you will rain on the celebration of who God is and radical moves. Radical moves of faithfulness will be a disruption to 
the lifestyle you thought you were going to live when you hooked up with your man. He goes on and he says, wait a minute. First of all, don't get it twisted. You know who I'm dancing before? Like David fights fire with fire. I'm dancing before the Lord who chose me over your pops. David wasn't a sucker, you know. But honey, I'm sorry, the music was getting in my bones. That wasn't David. David said, oh, wait, 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 wait. It's before the Lord who chose me over your father that I'm dancing before. Meaning, this is between me and him. Why are you all sour? Nobody else dissing me. She was disrespectful to the Lord and therefore disrespectful to God's chosen. The Bible makes clear that in several ways she was disrespecting him. First of all, this was her king. And the Bible is all for us honoring our king. Just because God says all authority I put there. Second of all, she was disrespecting her husband. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 5 that raggedy as he may be, that holy women submit to him as Lord unless he's leading her in a way that's anti-Lord. Ah, I'm sorry. I, I wanted Pastor E to do this one anyway, so because I know how these ladies can get. So the Bible makes clear that we ought to honor God and honor his chosen. You know, the difference between David and Saul was that when God's chosen was trying to kill David, David said, I won't kill him because he's the Lord's anointed. Not because he, he stopped trying to kill me. Well, then I, all right, is we even? No. When he was still trying to kill him, he said, don't kill him. He's the Lord's anointed. But Saul, however, would get mad at the Lord's anointed, the priests, and kill them. Mikal is just like her pops. Disrespect and disregard the Lord's anointed. Not only that, she's detached from the community, so she doesn't have the DNA of the community. I think sometimes we underestimate just what being around does. Well, ain't nothing for me to do. If you're just there, you'll be changed. It's subtle. Some, even in our community, struggle with the church because you just don't come. You're just not there. Then some people come, but they hold back their affections and they don't chime in with the, the God-centered affections. Some have a disregard for the Lord and or the things he chooses. I like the Lord, but I can't see how they could call Deuce a pastor. You see the way he wears his pants. I can't believe it. So-and-so got, he's the leader. I don't even look up to him. How can I follow him? She also had a deficient view of the honor that's due Yahweh or the Lord. Because look what he, he goes on to say. He says, verse 22, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. 
and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. This is the Hebrew way of saying, and God proved that this sister was off base. Now for us, no kids, that's a blessing. But that ain't the way they looked at it. They looked at it like, oh, see, that's what happens when you come out your face wrong. So get the story. We're looking at Christ in the life of a woman, and this is the antithesis of what you're after, sisters. You don't want to just be tagging alongside of man. You want to be in rich God-centered community. You don't want to just like him and, and your mom and your mother-in-law, who you probably got to tolerate. Or your, like, no, you want God-centered affections. You want a regard for God and the stuff he chooses, even when the stuff he chooses looks like the stuff you would reject. And then you want to adopt, as all Christians, a proper view of what honor is and what honor is due him. The Lord Jesus makes it clear that there are times when our weakness is the perfect prescription for him to be magnified. Sometimes our poverty is for the benefit of the richness of what God wants to do for his own namesake. Sometimes our sickness is in order that he may be glorified. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, he said, we are fools, but it's for Christ's sake that we are fools. David said, well, in your eyes, I'm about to look even crazier. But the people that you think are going to look at me crazy are going to esteem me. You know why? Because these are not like you. They have esteemed Yahweh, and they know all this hoopla is for him, and he's worth it. What kind of woman do you want to be? What kind of woman do you want to marry, fellas? The one who won't look at you strange like you tripping when you say, I think God wants us to downsize for his name. I think God wants us to say no to this and yes to that for his name. You bugging. See, like, the worst thing we could do is to get hooked up with somebody who will frustrate our ability to look like a fool for Christ's sake. Christ in the life of. Y'all are quiet except the seasoned saints who come from Baptist churches. So let me fast forward and conclude by saying on her, Mikkel was kind of a Saul type, not a David type, not a type of Christ. She was detached from God-centered community. Come on, I like choir. I don't like all this God. Disengaged from God-centered affections. I'm religious, but I don't like to take it too far. Disrespectful to the Lord or disregard for the Lord and his divine choice. God's all right, but I don't like you. Deficient view of honor that's due him. I mean, let's not go too far in everything with this Jesus stuff. Flip now with me, if you will, back actually to 1 Samuel 25, and let's look at Christ in the life of a woman. And this is the, the example we want to follow. This narrative is too long for me to read, but I'm going to give you the highlights. First of all, what we see here is 
David before he's king or officially king on the throne. We're backtracking to a day where David is on the come up since Saul is still on the throne. So David is king, but he's not king. At this time, we see David, he's basically a nomad in, on the wilderness running his squad. And look at how the story reads. Verse chapter 25. Now Samuel died and all Israel assembled and mourned for him and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in the in in Moan, excuse me, in Maon, uh, whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had three thousand sheep and a thousand goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and his and the name of his wife Abigail. Stop. We get all of this in Hebrew narrative in order to set you up to appreciate the details of the text. One of the things we have to do is we have to teach the genres of literature, for those of you that don't know this. You can't read this like you read epistles. Epistles will just lay it out for you. Narratives, you have to glean your theological principles from appreciating why a narrative does what it does or says what it says. The, now, when it says now, the husband's name was Nabal and the wife's name was Abigail. What it's trying to do is it wants you to zero in on the meaning of their name, which will flash some insight into their character. It's saying, let me introduce you to a fool because Nabal means fool. And in contrast, I want you to appreciate the wife he had. Now, we just looked at a wise king named David and in contrast, a wife he had. Well, now we're looking at another story about a foolish man and the wife he had. Her name means delight to my father. So first of all, when we look at Christ in the life of a woman, especially Christ in the life of a godly woman, the first thing is, I believe that the, the, the Christ-like woman is a woman of delight. A woman of delight. Now, I'm not making more of it than I need. It's just that the text draws a contrast between how the name of Nabal actually reflected his character and how the name of Abigail actually reflects her character. So, since she was a delight to her man, her father, and then eventually she actually was a benefit to her husband, we're saying the godly woman is a woman of delight. She's in contrast. This is not the women of our day. I could be a bee if you want me to be. This is not that kind of a woman. This is the woman like in 1 Peter 3, going back to that. The Bible says that she is a quiet spirit. If you look at what that means, that doesn't mean she never talks. This means she's not pushy. She's not, she's not selfishly assertive looking for her rights. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus was like this, not clinging to his rights. The Bible says there's something about females. I don't know what our culture is doing to you today. Unfortunately, we're in Epiphany and we have a banging contingent of females. And you all are like this. The, the Spirit of God has already been fashioning you like this. But some of you, you're at the, you're at the, you're at the beginning. Redemption has just come to your door and you're trying to figure out, like, I'm trying not to be a pushover. Yet the Bible commends the woman who, in her not being a pushover, 
she's still not pushy. And she still can be considered mild and meek. I'm sorry, I'm just... Like, that's culture. The Bible is commending Abigail because even in her name, she was a delight. And the Bible makes clear that this is especially problematic for females all the way back from the fall, depending on how you look at Genesis chapter 316, which says your desire will be to control your husband or your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule you. Don't get mad at me. The Bible said that God looked at the woman and said, because of this. Because of what you've done, there will be an inherent friction between you and men. And you're going to want that. You're going to do, you're going to, you're going to want that. But he'll always get the upper hand. You're quiet. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, God says the king, sin desires you or desires to have you. That doesn't mean that sin wanted to get it in with him. It meant that sin desired to control him. Job 2.10. Job looks to his wife and says, you're talking like, like one of the foolish women. It's almost like he has this category. You know, the foolish women, like they were common in his day. You're talking like, you know, the foolish women today. Now, I'm not saying that women are foolish because we're studying the ball. He's the fool. He's the man. Proverbs 21.9 says, It's better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house with a contentious woman. So it's better for you to be like, I'm going to the patio. You got it. But it's like a whole proverb made with that in it. Like, and out of all the stuff it says about dudes, it has these unique proverbs about the issues that men and women have. Men don't know how to love right but women don't know how to respect. So the Bible often said, and I'm not saying you don't know how to respect, but you, that's your problem area. And loving is our problem area. So God has to give us explicit commands, though we both are commanded to do the, like I'm recommended to respect women and women are uh, commanded to respect men. We're commanded to love women. Women are commanded to love men. So it goes both ways. But why are these Proverbs? 21:19 says it's better to live in a desert land than with the contentious and vexing woman. I'm going to Arabia. You got it. So don't miss out when the Bible introduces us to a woman whose name is Delight. Or means, I'm a delight to my father. Christ in the life of a woman fashions her and empowers her to be a woman of delight. If you go on and you read the text, she's also a woman of foresight. Of foresight. Ah, this story is the story of David getting mad. 
I'm going to read a few verses just so you can catch the fullness of it. It says here, verse 4. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. So David is a good guy. David is sending word, oh, yo, Nabal, you'll get why that's important. Nabal, is, he's near us. Perfect. Why don't you go and bless him? Peace be to everything he has. Peace be to his house. Give him a blessing in my name. Then say this, I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us. And we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time that they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. Listen to David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told them all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man then strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, the fool's wife, Nabal's wife. Get the story. David is in the wilderness. David is really, he's basically like somebody who stays on the outskirts, basically running what will ultimately be... Uh, is going to turn into his kingdom. Oh, he got 600 men or so, as you see. So he's out here in the wilderness. And he's actually been doing good to Nabal's shepherds and things. You're going to see later. David says, this is a good time to ask him to be kind to us. Now, David is not over there like, yo, we've been looking out for you. You better hook us up. David basically saying, yo, go and petition that Nabal will be good to us because it's a feast time. And basically it will be like you writing a ministry and saying, hey, you know, we've never cashed in a favor before. But, you know, we're a nonprofit organization. We're asking you, would you please send? And somebody say, send money to you? Who are you? Like, and so he's sitting up here. They basically, Nabal comes back and says, as foolish as his name seems to connote, he says, who is David? Now, we know he knows who David is because his wife is going to come back and say, oh, we know who you are. So he's not saying, who are you? I don't know you. Like, if you help me who you are, maybe I'll give you something. No, he basically is saying, get out of here. Scram, kid, you're bottoming, right? So he goes on. And David gets mad. Now, David, who overreacts to being this, says, everybody, grab your sword. Shing. Everybody's like, shing, shing. Ouch. Dang, some dude gets cut. You know what I'm saying? Dude, who ain't, he ain't skilled with a sword yet. I'm just kidding. And so next thing you know, he's boom. David is like, hand me mine. No, mine over there. No, David, come. Somebody may be trying to reason with him. Like, give me my sword. I don't want to hear it. Ching. I, how dare he talk to me like that? Well, word gets back that somebody goes to 
Abigail, verse 14, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master. So somebody comes to Abigail, Abigail, oh, you're not going to believe it. It is on and popping. What you talking about? What you talking about? No, no, wait. Hold on, let me get my breath. Listen, listen to what he says here. Behold, David. Now, he doesn't say like David. You know David, son of David. Like everybody knows David. Nabal knew who David was. David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at him. He came out his face at him. Verse 15, yet the men were very good to us. We were out there, man. The men were cracking jokes. They were sharing what they had out there in the wilderness. Look, he says here, and we suffered no harm. We did not miss anything uh, when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. Matter of fact, cats were getting stuck up. We didn't get stuck up when we were around them because dudes didn't want to roll up on us when they saw us with David's boys. They were a wall to us. Look, both by night and by day. We were out there and we were, we were scared. You know us. We kind of scared. We scaredy cats. But David and them had our backs. Now David asking this dude for a little help. And our master is tripping. He railed on him. Look at verse 17. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and us too. And all his house. And he is such a worthless man that we can't even talk to him. Says Abigail made haste and. This narrative wants you to appreciate that the fool acts one way. And in this case, this woman who's the antithesis of a fool acts in the total opposite. Christ in the life of a woman not only shapes women who are delight, but women who have foresight, who can see things coming down the pike and rig strategies that, that she can act on in the present. That's a quality you got to have. You know how women do. You spill something. Don't worry. I got something for you, baby. Pull out a napkin that you didn't think of. Dang, I'm hungry. Mm, don't worry, baby. Pull out an oatmeal pie from last week. Ah, don't worry, I got some antiseptic. Like, like, that's how they do. Now, if you're not careful, you won't keep up with the times and you won't be one of them kind of women. Oh, you got something? Uh-uh, you got something? Dang, I'm hungry. Me too. Like, <laughs> that ain't the kind of woman you want or you want to be. A woman of foresight foreseeing that there will be a need to do something. You know, the Bible says that all of what the Bible says, that's one of them ones. When you hear me say it, you're going to be like, Dad, the Bible didn't say that. We all have 20-20 hindsight. You know, the Bible says everybody has 20-20 hindsight, but that's not in the Bible. But it's been said, we all have 20-20 hindsight. Oh, that's what I should have done. But it's a virtue in the scriptures when you have foresight. Bible says about the Proverbs 31 woman that she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. So she's sitting here. She's like, wait a minute. Hold on. And she begins to look down the corner and say, if I and I just and I move and get the girl, we got a business on our hands. Foresight. Says that she's not afraid for the snow for her household already is decked up in boots with the fur. Well, it says households are clothed in scarlet, but see, like, yo, it's a snowstorm. Don't worry. I already got canned goods. And that's why I put you all in the scarf and the hat. 
says here in verse 25 of Proverbs 30, it says, 31, it says, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She's already got foresight. She's like, Gustav is coming. That's why we left already. <laughs> Before they evacuated. A woman of foresight. It's in the Bible. Once again, you think, this is simple. these are spiritual principles that the Bible says. That's what I'm talking about. The fool is caught off guard. But the woman of foresight, she, she gets word that trouble is coming and she puts a plan in action. With haste. It says, Abigail made haste. Took 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep already prepared, and five saves of parched grain. A hundred clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, laid them on donkeys. And then she said to her young men, go ahead, I got you. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband. The ability to see that something needs to be done. And then do it, because she's not only a woman of foresight, she's a woman of insight. Knowing what to do. A woman of insight, a woman who knows and can see the true nature. She said, this is trouble. I know how to remedy this. She doesn't go off. She goes to work. So she's not just a woman of foresight, a woman of insight. She's a woman of action. Proverbs 31 real quickly. I like the way it says, an excellent woman or an excellent wife, who can find? Her husband trusts in her. And then I'm just going, I, I looked at it, just looked at all the action verbs. Because we do have a day where women sort of like kick their feet up a little bit. Like, I'm looking for a man that's going to take care of me. And that's what they should do. And dudes be like, yeah, we should. You heard Alicia Keys, a woman's worth. But the women in this day, like my grandmother used to say, we them old soldiers, right? They work their, their fingers to the bone, right? Because back then, you could be a dope wife being taken care of, but that didn't mean that you was home watching soaps. That meant you are free to do something, right? And the women of Scripture were commended based on what they did, actions, like applying their foresight and their insight. So when you see Moses' mom saying, what? They killing the kids? Ah, whip together a little basket and send them down the stream and then entrust them to the Lord. The Hebrew midwives, what? They telling us to kill them? Don't. God will find some way to, uh, to take care of us. And the Bible commends the Hebrew midwives who didn't kill. Uh, if you don't know the Old Testament, like, you're not catching some of this. Just like, get it. It's, it's good stuff in here. It's good stuff in here. But even if you go to Proverbs 31, it just gives you all these action verbs and it just goes on. Um, in Proverbs 31, I, I, just for the sake of time, I'm going to run through them. You don't even have to turn there if you don't want. Um, I had printed them out, but um, something happened with my printer. So, peep this. Just look at how it goes into action. She's dope. She's hard to find. A woman is hard to find like this. But let me just tell you the kind of woman she is. She does. That's the action verb, right? She does him good, right? She seeks wool and flax. That's her doing. Um, uh, she works with willing hands. That's action. She rises while it's night. That's action. She provides food. That takes action. 
She uh, says here, she considers a field. That's an action. She dresses herself. Action. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable, so her lamp doesn't go out. That's implicit in action. Puts her hand to the distaff. Action. Opens her hand to the poor. That's another action. Not afraid. Uh, she makes bed coverings. Action. Husbands known in the gate makes linen garments. Action. Opens her mouth with wisdom. Action. Looks well to the ways of a household. Action. Doesn't eat the bread of idleness, so she's active. Like the Bible, like all it is. That was says, yo, man, don't become these sisters that just sort of look to take a vacation for the rest of your life. Says, she's a woman of action. And the story of Abigail is a story about how she went to work when she heard about the trouble that was coming to her, her house, her husband. Flip back, coming to a close. Christ in the life of a woman. A woman who is a delight. Not harsh, not pushy, vulgar and loud. A delight. Woman who's got foresight. Who by the grace of God can calculate something needs to be done, let me do it. Insight, seeing into the true nature of what needs to be done. Action. <laughs> you do it. And I believe it shows you three other things about her. Well, actually four. It's a woman who's got a humble heart. Let's go back to Samuel 25. 1 Samuel 25. Look what it says when she met David. She meets David. Verse 23 says, When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. Now I know she recognizes David's authority, but the idea here is Nabal, in the face of David's authority, didn't do what she's doing. So we see the humility in her as she bows to the ground and says, like the Bible says, a soft answer turns away wrath. She takes the humble approach. If you really do a study on the book of Esther, it probably was Mordecai's pride that even got them in a position where Esther had to be called upon. Once again, it's the stubbornness of a man that causes a occasion for the humility of a woman. A humble heart, she bows to the ground, gracious lips. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Gracious lips. Bible says that a woman can win someone without a word. And yet when we do, all of us are told to let our speech be seasoned as with salt. Grace on the lips. Who doesn't want a woman who's got gracious lips? To go with a humble heart. But I like the way she also has a theological mind. Look, verse 25. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now, then, my Lord, as the Lord lives. How are you going to bring God in this? When you got a theological mind, God is always appropriate. 
And as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt. Well, wait a minute. Look at this theological mind that understands that just this act, God is intervening so that David won't mess up his road to the throne. Restrain, restrain you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. She knows the difference between the vengeance of the Lord and David taking it his own vengeance. Now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my, excuse me, uh, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. Theological mind. All of that when she meets the king from here. Here go some raisins and some cakes. Don't be mad. She could have just said that. And David said, all right. Because I was about to catch wreck. Are there nuts in here? Like he could have said that. But she lays on this thick theological dissertation on David. I know they... Yahweh is in control of you and you're fighting his battles. I know that he's going to establish your, your throne. He's going to make you a sure house. This day he intervened to save you from messing up the good thing that he had going with you. A theological mind. Women who don't just, hey, what, you, what is, um, which that's good, but like at the best you ought to be able to bring God into the picture. Lastly, spiritual eyes. Verse 30. And when the Lord has done to my Lord a call according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause for grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt with my Lord, then remember your servant. Listen, y'all. Spiritual eyes always can see the benefits of God fulfilling ultimately what we have to wait on. Because she talks like in one day, because you, when you see what spiritual lenses, you talk like it's true now. She says, so because you're going to be prince, remember me. Remember, I did this to you. God's going to do it. I believe Rahab also did the same thing. Oh, we already know that God is determined to establish y'all. Just remember me when he does. Spiritual eyes. Who doesn't want a woman who's got a humble heart? Gracious lips. A theological mind. And sight to see spiritually beyond just the circumstances and the now. You can be. Like Mikhail, if you want. All on the outskirts, looking pretty in the window. Cut all that racket out. And look at you. Disengaged from God-centered affections. 
deficient in your understanding of honor and disregarding God and the things that he chooses. Or you can be like Abigail, a woman who's delightful, a woman who's got foresight, a woman who's got insight, a woman who is action-packed, humble, gracious, theological, spiritual. Let's pray.